0: Thank you, April, for those songs. I have a hard time imagining a better song to have for Communion Sunday than My Hope is Built on Nothing Less than Jesus' Blood and Righteousness. So I would not feel ashamed at all of leading those songs. That's one of the things I love about hymns is that in so many ways, there's so much theology in them. There's so much truth in them that apply in our daily lives, and I have just really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for, um, for those I have been thinking recently about what goes into communion and what, is it, what does it mean to me. And so I guess I'll kind of throw it out there as a question for you. What does, what does communion mean to you? And often we think of communion as a, as a meal or as a partaking of bread together. And as I thought about this, it kind of made me think back about what Jesus and his disciples were experiencing when they first had it happen to them. And that was Passover. It was a meal that was a remembrance of something that had happened in the past. And so I'd like to look a little bit at Passover kind of as the beginning. Um, But before we get started, let's go ahead and bow our heads in prayer. Lord, we come before you. We just want to say thank you for your goodness and your greatness, and how you have throughout the years shown yourself real and alive. And you have given us those moments in time to remember what you have done. And this morning, as we look into your word and as we consider the way that you have acted and how good you have been to us, Lord, I pray that you would touch our hearts and that you would give us a desire to seek after you, to draw into a close relationship with you, to, to desire to know your heart and to live it, that life in a way that would show others that we care about the things that you care about. In Jesus' name, amen. I've been reading kind of through the first five books of the Bible recently. And in there, as, as I've read about Passover and kind of what instigated it, I, I was really surprised, because as the, the children of Israel go out of Egypt, you would have thought they would have loved being rescued from slavery. In fact, it was, it's very interesting. It's like they leave, and yet they're constantly talking about the things they had back in Egypt. And it's made me think about how at Passover, what they were told to eat were things that were kind of bitter. And I've, I've wondered, was part of that because of the things that they were going to miss when they left the land of Egypt. And I know that's kind of a twist, perhaps, on this idea of a Passover. is like, we always think of, oh, Passover is this grand and glorious thing. They got to, they got to leave this captivity. But in the midst of this captivity, they had some really good things that they liked. There were things that they held on to. There were things that they remembered. And so, it, as I thought about that, I realized that why they're so often, they had times where they said, we should just go back. You know, we can just bear the, the slavery. We can, we can stand being oppressed. If we could just have the good things to eat, if we could just have the things that we had back there, it would be okay to be in bondage and to be oppressed. And I've realized that this is something that is almost a type Of what we go through as Christians. I would like to go ahead and and start reading in Luke chapter 22, starting at verse 1. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover, and the chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then entered Satan into Judas' surname, Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. And he went his way and communed with the chief priests and captives, how he might betray him unto them. It's kind of funny because they use the word communed here. And it's kind of on the bad side of things. You can commune on either side. If you wish to commune with those that are evil, you can do that. And you can throw your lot in with them if you so wish. Starting there at verse 6 once again. And he promised and sought opportunity to betray him unto them in the absence of the multitude. Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare us the Passover that we may eat. And they said unto him, where wilt thou that we prepare it? And he said, Behold, when you are entered into the city, there shall a man meet you, bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he entered in. And you shall say unto the good man of the house, The master saith unto thee, Where is the guest chamber where we shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he shall show you a large upper room furnished there, make ready. And they went, and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. And when the hour was come, he sat down with the twelve disciples with him. And he said unto them, With desire I have a desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took the bread and he gave thanks and break it and gave it unto them saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. And likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. And so as Jesus was partaking of this last Passover meal, he knew the betrayal that was already going on in the heart of one of his disciples. And this idea of his disciple was communing with those that wished to kill him. He knew all of that, and he also knew the suffering that was to come. And I have to think that as he ate those bitter herbs, that he, he realized that this suffering that was coming, coming was going to be hard. It was going to be difficult. And yes, he desired to eat that meal with his disciples, but he also knew what the cost was. He knew what it meant. He knew where it was going to end up. It's almost hard to imagine Jesus saying, I wish to eat these bitter herbs. I wish to experience the hard time that I'm going to go through. Because do we do that? I don't know about you, but I have a very strong tendency to avoid things that are painful. I've been doing some running recently, and it's unbelievable how easy it is to just say, well, not today. You know, I, I, did, I know it would be good for me, but I, you, know, you have to breathe hard, and you have to tell your body to keep moving, and you have to, you have to go out there and get it done. And it's very easy to say, no, I don't want to do that. And that's a very small example of something that is painful. Or something that is, is, is not a lot of fun for our bodies. And yet, here in this moment, this is something so much greater that Jesus is going to go through. And he knows that these sacrifices that he's going to give up are going to be worth it. I'd like to j- jump into um, John chapter 13, starting at verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was, was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. You ask yourself, why was Jesus willing to suffer? Why was he willing to experience the bitterness and the pain of the rejection that he was going to have from his father, rejection he was going to have from his friends. And the reason that he was willing to do it was because of the love that he had for us. You can put the disciples in here, the love that he had for his disciples, the love for those that he knew one day would have a chance to be with him in heaven. And I I say this because I, I feel like oftentimes we want to quantify or qualify our love only to those that have already responded and yet Jesus here is doing it before people could even respond. He's saying, while you were yet sinners, while you were still evil, while your heart was still communing with those that were against me, I love you. I care about you. You are of value. You are important. And the reason that he says you are a value and you are important is because His Father had created this world, and His Father had created each one of you. And He knew you before you were born, while you were yet in your mother's womb. He knew you, He loved you, He created you. And then, He was willing to send His only begotten Son. The most valuable thing the Father had, He sent as a sacrifice for me and for you. Those words just touch me. We're starting again in verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of the world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And suffer being ended the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot Simeon's son to betray him, Jesus knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth up from supper and laid aside his garments, and he took a towel and girded himself. And you would think that in this moment he, would, he, he could say to the father, look, I'm already going through so much. I'm already giving so much. I'm I'm giving you everything, God. I'm giving you this body. I'm giving you the pain. I'm giving you everything that is going to happen. I'm giving, even understanding the rejection that's going to come from you as I take on the sin of the world. And yet at that moment when he was giving everything, it says that he took a towel. And he went to these disciples, these very people who in just a few hours were going to run away from him, deny that they ever knew him. deny his closest friends, not just the one that was going to betray him and commune with the evil one, evil ones, but even those that would say that they were his friends, of the ones he just said that he loved them and he loved them unto the end. He, ra- he riseth from supper, and he laid aside his garments and he took a cat- towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin. And he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Up until the end, he loved them. And he was willing to go and serve them in the most mundane of ways. Because he loved them. And I found it interesting as we continue on. I'd like to continue reading just a little bit here in verses 6 and 7. Then he came he to Simeon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord Dost thou wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. This response from Peter is is in some way surprising, but I actually think that as I look at this, I actually think that this was pride from Peter. I think there was a part of Peter that's like, You know what? You don't need to do that. I'm good. You You don't need to wash my feet, Lord. I'm good. I took care of it. They're clean. And in a way, he was saying about that, about his own life Lord, I'm good enough. You don't need to wash my feet. You don't have to sacrifice for me. You don't have to serve me. I'm good. And as I look at my own life, I realize that in many ways, this pride has a tendency to take over my life. And even though I accept Jesus' blood and his righteousness for me, I have a tendency to say, I don't need forgiveness. Or somehow I have risen above the place where I can say, I'm sorry. And yet as I look at Peter and I look at Jesus, I realize that this dynamic of what Jesus is saying is, yeah, you're mostly clean, but you still have problems. You still have things you can work on. You still need my blood and my righteousness. And I confess this morning that I'm still a sinner saved by grace. There is nothing that I can do on my own as much as I try to put on a good face. As much as I try to follow the commandments of Scripture, I still fail. I fall. I make mistakes. And I do things that are wrong. And I confess it. And in this moment, I want to call to us to reject pride. Be willing to admit that we're imperfect. Because as we do that, God can use us in ways that we cannot imagine. This command, then, that he is giving... It's found in John 15, starting at verse 9. As a father hath loved me, so I have loved you. Continue ye in my love. If you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my father's commandment and abide in, he, in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment. It feels like, you know, he's just trying to hammer this home. He's going to repeat it. I sometimes say that, that preachers just repeat the same things over and over again. And I feel like they could say it once and I would have caught it. But Jesus here is saying, look, I want you to know what's important. And what is important? It's the things that I'm going to repeat. And this is what is important. In verse 12, he says it again. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this. That a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus didn't just say this, Jesus lived this. He did this for us. Final passage I'd like to read from this morning is out of Mark chapter 8, starting at verse 34. And this is, a, this is a call to us then as we recognize the love that the Father has for us. And as we understand his sacrifice that he gave for us. This is now a call for us to live like Christ lived. You know one of the things that's easy to say is well that was what Jesus was like. But I don't have to be like that. I can still set my focus on things here on earth. And this refutes that. This is Mark chapter 8, starting at verse 34. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me in my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also the Son of Man will be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. He then says, look, the way I am living is with purpose and with a reason. It's because I love you. And if you love me, if you're going to commune with me, if you're going to become in relationship with me, if you're going to know me as I know the Father, you're going to have to have your focus on me. And I'll be honest, in this world, there's a lot of people that call themselves Christians, that their focus is not on the communion with God. Their focus is on the things of this world. A couple weeks ago, I preached a sermon about false prophets. And it's very easy to see how many people in the church have become, have become confused. And instead of focusing on our Heavenly Father, instead of focusing on the things that are to come, instead of living out the commandments of Scripture, they have become focused on things here on the earth. And somehow they've got the idea that the blessings of this earth is what they are looking for. It was kind of interesting. Dave said that, you know, there was a man that told him any day above the sod was a good one or any day above the grass was a good one. The truth is, is that our days are numbered. Every one of us will have an end to our life. At some moment, you will pass away. And it could be at any moment. We don't know how long God will give us. And if we live for the things of this world, how pitiful our lives should be, especially when we see how, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, lived for us and how he loved us. I feel that sometimes that we get these things in the wrong order. We have a tendency to want to straighten people out before we share with them the love that we have. And I really think that in this example that Christ gives us, we see that he says, first, love people. First, love those around you. Love the stranger. Love, love those that you know, your neighbor. Often we want to say, well, if, if they show themselves good, we'll love them. That's not, the, that's not the example Jesus gave. We love people. Even in the midst of their sin, we should love them as Jesus loved them. And even as God loved them that created them. And then secondly, we should be willing to serve. And part of that service will be telling the truth. Part of it will be confronting, perhaps, but that should not come first. That should come when the question is asked, why are you like what you are? Why do you do the things that you do? Why do you live the way that you do? Why do you deny yourself some of the things that others don't, or the people of this world? Why don't you seek after, you know, riches? Why don't you seek after power? And it should be, we should be able to say, it's because of what Jesus has done for me and his example. And I desire to do what he said, and that is to deny myself. Is, are those things bitter? And I think a lot of times we can see ourselves what I said earlier about the people of Israel wanting to look back into captivity and saying, well, I like those things. I like the leeks and the onions. I like the watermelons and the cantaloupe. I like those things, and all we have here is manna. And yet, if you think about what God did through the people of Israel and going in the land of Canaan, yes, there was a coming land that was full of milk and honey. But if they'd have stayed in Egypt, they'd never ended up where God wanted them. If they'd have stayed in Egypt, they never would have gotten the promise that was given to Abraham. And that same thing applies to us, is that if we look back, at the things of this world, at the leeks and the onions and the watermelons and the cantaloupes, if we look back and we say, that's what I want. I want to seek the Porsche. I want to seek the car. I want to seek the big house. If we seek that, you'll end up with it. But you'll also end up with the slavery that goes along with it. You'll end up with the bondage that goes along with it. You'll end up with all the things that will hold you back. If you seek that, you can find it. But that's not our call. Our call is to seek the things of our Heavenly Father. This morning we're going to be doing communion. And we're going before communion we're actually going to be doing feet washing. Because I think this example of Christ shows us that there is a servant heart that comes from communing with God. And in some ways we need to put that first. We need to place that in its correct position. And as we experience the servant heart of God, and as we love those around us, we will put aside those things that the world finds importance. We'll relieve ourselves of the burdens and the bondage that comes from believing that the things of this world are important. And instead, as we focus upon Christ and we commune with our Heavenly Father, we'll experience freedom and a hope of a future home, a land flowing with milk and honey that's way better than any onions or leeks or anything else and a place where we don't have to worry about bondage. I really appreciated Caleb's message not long ago, and kind of his final point in that was, choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that is a powerful example of how to stand up and live with conviction and with hope. We practice here a confessor's communion, and that means that if you are willing to confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, that you are welcome to take communion among us. Um, and before that, we will be doing feet washing. And if, if you've never been a part of that before, that's, you can watch if you wish. If you want to take part with us, we would love to have you join us and as we follow in this example of Christ.